We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. This podcast is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online, the fastest, easiest, and safest way to bet on all things sports. With March Madness, the Masters, and Major League Opening Day all right around the corner, Bet Online has all the latest news, scores, and odds to help you win big. The best part? You'll receive a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Head over to betonline.ag and use promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your little free money. Plus, signing up is a great way to support the podcast you're listening to right now. Again, that's promo code BLUEWIRE. All one word when you sign up at betonline.ag. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Hello and welcome to the Esports Biz Show. I'm your host, Justin Jacobson. This week we'll be discussing professional esports organizations. Just a disclaimer, nothing here is intended as legal advice, as all of the information for educational purposes only. This week's guest is Jeremy Lamsey McLam. He's the current CEO of Noble Esports. He previously ran Overwatch Contenders Team Center of Bermuda, as well as worked with Simplicity Esports. In his current role, he handles day-to-day operations of the team. Noble competes in various titles, including Mortal Kombat, Smash, as well as Overwatch. Jeremy, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it. Well, it's great to have you here. Um, so to briefly introduce the topic, we're exploring professional organizations. As we previously discussed, you know, these are companies that sign gamers to compete on behalf of them in tournament and leagues, as well as streamers and other content creators. You know, they earn income in a variety of ways. One of the chief ways is, you know, percentage of tournament winnings from their team. You know, these percentages vary greatly. It could be as little as, you know, 5 or 10% to a larger, you know, 20 or 25. It all really kind of depends on the game, the kind of prize pool, and, you know, the investment on the team's part. Um, Another 
nice revenue stream for teams is, you know, both physical and digital in-game items. So whether you have hats, you know, nice t-shirts like you're wearing, mouse pads or anything that features the team logo, as well as in-game items, skins, weapons, you know, any of these other purchasable items that have your favorite team's logo on it. There's also opportunities for live streaming revenue on social media, your Twitch, your Mixer, your YouTube. That includes, you know, money for any subscriptions as well as ads and donations. And then you can have ad revenue on the actual created content. So if you have stuff on YouTube or any other platform that actually monetizes content. And then one of the chief areas that most teams have been working with is sponsorship and brand partnerships. Mm -hmm. And then more recently, there's been a wave of third-party investments in teams. This really isn't considered an income, but this is one of the chief ways that many organizations earn income and are able to meet their operational expenses. So yeah. now that very, was... very scary to consider the investment part as just income. Yeah, because it's not. It's an investment in exchange for a percentage. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that money isn't for you to have fun with. It's for you to use to grow the business and to find out ROI, you know, return on mm -hmm. investment. Exactly. Um, so now that we know a bit more about how many pro organizations make money, Jeremy, tell us a little about your previous esports experience. Uh yeah, so it's been it's been quite varied. I started esports probably ten years ago when I first started paying attention to esports, and but didn't get heavily involved until 2013 when I really started playing Call of Duty. Uh, played for a couple of years and ended up retiring from competitive play. Just didn't really have the time to compete or really see the long term where I fit into the scene long term as a player. Mm -hmm. And well, I kind of went and started, you know, Noble. I started a few other talent agencies. I've done consulting through esports for years now. I um, was with Noble for about a year and a half. And then I left to really just learn more about the industry, experience new things. And, you know, I just didn't really want to stay in a situation where I was like, I never left my hometown mm -hmm. and I really want to experience what everyone could offer in the industry and learn from a lot of very, very talented people. Mm -hmm. So that led me to work with people like Jed Kaplan, Steve Grossman at Simplicity, you know, helping them get that brand up and running to, helping them take it public was just, it was a great experience. It was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed my time there with them. And then I really wanted a slight break from the constant work schedule that I was doing at the time mm -hmm. and needed something to just really hone in what I was passionate about. And so that's where Bermuda happened, where we decided to make an Overwatch contenders team. And the entire aesthetic was an anime beach episode. Hmm. And it was something that we thought was fun. You know, we actually even launched a mobile game. Oh, wow. uh, we sold a bunch of shirts. We, we sold beach towels. And I really like to brag that Bermuda was the number one beach towel brand in all of esports. But I also think it's on a technicality because probably the only one. Hey, man. So, one you know, some way, right? You no, know, exactly. Exactly. We'll, we'll take the accomplishments where we get them. Uh, outside of that, Bermuda had ups and downs, you know, we had a pretty average season. We had an 0-7 season, unfortunately, but then we actually 
finished off last year with two land tournament wins from Nerd Street Gamers. So really happy about that. And so when I came over and came back home to Noble, I just knew I had to bring Overwatch with me because I've absolutely loved my time here. And that's, I guess, a quick TDLR on past few years for me. Okay, so tell us a little bit more about Noble Esports. You know, what are you mm-hmm. kind of working on there and any recent news? Yeah, yeah, no, we've actually a lot of recent news. Uh, let's see, you know, obviously coming back as CEO brought a lot of changes into the org. Uh, you know, infrastructure and even, I guess, publicity outside of the normal for what Noble or myself was used to. Then, you know, that led to a lot of great opportunities, you know, brought the Overwatch team over. We announced a great partnership with Elgato. Okay. Um, amazing, amazing team over there. And I'm really excited to further our relationship together. You know, I've been a fan of theirs for a very long time. And so of almost everyone inside of Noble. So that was really, really big for us. And then recently we just got into Smash with the pickup of Myron. Nice. So, I mean, that kind of leads into our next question. So how do you kind of decide, decide on what new titles to enter and maybe, you know, new players that you want to sign? Give us a little insight on that. Yeah, it's, the titles are always varied just because there's only so much that makes sense for even a brand, right? You might have a really good option in a game, but it just doesn't fit your current lineup. You know, it's good to diversify, but if you're a brand that's mainly known for exclusively doing, say, mobile FPS games. And then all of a sudden you picked up a Madden player. Like, what is that really going to help with your fan base? You know, it might bring in some new fans, but how are you going to leverage those new fans? Mm -hmm. So if you actually diversify that drastically, it can definitely be tremendously valuable to your brand, but it can also be just kind of stagnant and there if not utilized correctly and if you're not connecting to this new scene then it's almost just wasting all of the potential of doing something like that so really looking at everything to see what goes in with your catalog that you currently have and also what scenes really make sense for an roi standpoint Mm -hmm. because in esports roi is extremely hard to come by and making a profit is not you know it's always the goal mm-hmm. but you know not many people are seeing a net positive year at the end of the day yeah so it's about minimizing your loss making the correct decisions on what titles you can actually get into whether that is you know hey i might be spending a lot of money here but the amount of coverage i get from stream time is great or maybe i'm getting skins in the game uh, you know, there's a bunch of different things that you can work out with a publisher, developer, or even just on what your marketing strategy can be that will lead you into your decision for picking up a new title. That makes sense. You know, you like you said, you want to kind of keep something that's kind of within your wheelhouse. If you've mm-hmm. been really in mobile games for you to get like, you know, Call of Duty Professional <laughs> Franchise League, it might just not yeah, fit yeah. in with your sponsors and kind of exactly. your whole imagery. Like, Center of Bermuda is great, but, like, is a FIFA team, you know, unless they're, yeah. unless they're a Bermuda or Caribbean-based team, then it might fit in. Yeah, and if I really wanted to do something like, you know, when I was doing Bermuda, like, pick up a FIFA player. It's like, 
what am I going to do with that? Player? It has to be from Jamaica it's, or Caribbean island, you know, and then it fits I mean, into the whole island. Even if it's not like, even if I picked up a European uh, FIFA player, right. I need to make sure that I utilize the potential that he brings there and bring in new European fans and introduce them to a like, Hey, this is a vacation. We are called Bermuda, but we're the brand that you love because you always get to have this fun content, this fun vibe. Our players are really likable. Um, everything that we do just kind of fits that. So you can capitalize on having maybe a title that doesn't really fit your catalog, but it's really about how you brand it and market it. And if you can make it work, then you know it, it can be a great decision. So what are some of your plans for the future of Noble? Is there anything you're specifically looking at or... Um, I, I feel like that almost changes, you know, on a, on a daily basis. I get, I get really inspired by a lot of different things. So right now we're, we're really heavily focusing on improving our content quality. You know, Elgato is going to be fantastic for that. Mm-hmm. So improving our quality of content is extremely important. Improving our art and aesthetic for the brand is really high up there for me. And then just capitalizing on all of the assets that we currently have and not necessarily even for a, you know, capitalize on them so we can bring in more money, but capitalize on everyone's potential to make sure that not only is the org benefiting from having them, but they're also benefiting in other ways that aren't just financial. So, you know, you can, you know, there's a lot of orgs that will go and pick up a team, pay them money, but never create content around them never make sure they're helped with their stream, never teach people how to create brands out of themselves. Mm -hmm. And I find that extremely disappointing because you're doing a disservice to the players and everyone else in your org if you're not able to work with players and content creators to help them create a better and stronger brand image for themselves. Mm -hmm. Because the stronger brand image they have, the better it looks for your org. And you have a platform to really promote them. Yeah, I mean, I, I always feel that, you know, and I've seen some articles in Esports Observer that, you know, trying to look similar to the WWF model of, like, you have these elaborate backstories and theme songs and entrance musics and mm-hmm. love triangles and rivalries. And you yeah. really explore what makes the contestant or the player unique and it lets the viewer really kind of connect with them. The fan wants mm-hmm. to see, you know, him win because he got, you know, his his girl cheated on him with this guy and you want to avenge him. Yeah, it's this backstory. It's like you want to, you know, maybe not necessarily create drama, but, you know, when, when you think about even in the NBA, mm-hmm. when, you know, LeBron went to the Lakers, everyone was waiting for Lakers versus Warriors. Everyone was talking about that game because it was this rivalry of LeBron was always going up against the Warriors from the East into the West. And now it's, you know, the two, arguably two powerhouse West Coast teams. And it was exciting to have this entire backstory. And that was all created, you know, a lot by the players themselves, but also the teams, you know, the branding, the images that they would put out, the art, the promotional material, you know, it was always pitting LeBron up against, you know, Steph or mm-hmm. anyone else on that roster. And it just, it, it fits perfectly. And I think we really need to start doing that more in esports because as, as great as having a very, you know, like 
non-toxic environment is. I think there's almost a like performance art of just like having a hyped up uh, storyline. Because if you watch two teams that you know, you know, you might know about both of them, but if there's no personal connection there, there's no, you know, like bragging rights, there's no stakes, and it's just a normal league match, it's like, eh, what does it really matter? But if you know, and the casters have something to say, like, oh, this guy left this team, you know, blah, 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 this happened, you know, there's, there, there starts building the story between the two teams, and you start getting invested and just want to know, okay, wh- which team's actually going to win? Maybe they're battling for second to last place, but you still know it means something to them, so you have something to cheer for. You have a story. And we really need to create non-toxic versions of that because there are games that have great storylines but are extremely toxic. Uh-huh. So it's finding a good middle ground, and that's extremely hard to do. How would you say you go about kind of fixing that? You know, I think that's a unique point. Yeah, it's... It's not something just like one org can do, or one player, or even a few, because entertainment is very subjective. And something that I might find extremely fun to watch, which is you know stuff like the old school Call of Duty days back in like 2013, 2014, uh, the trash talk was absolutely outrageous. Um, probably not a great thing to have, especially now with the franchise league, like, uh-huh. you know, it, I'm glad it's toned down, but I feel like with toning it down, it definitely staggered a lot of the fun that people had in learning about these personalities. Mm-hmm. So I think it needs to be almost a collective effort to improve on the content of making personalities and telling stories, not just, Hey, you know, these players are, you know, if you sit down and actually perfect, if you sit down and do a interview with a player, they can tell you, oh, yeah, you know, I'm this person, I play this role, blah, 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 my favorite color is this. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you might know a lot of random fun facts, but what has been their journey to get to this team? Mm-hmm. Who are their rivals? Because even if it's not public, they always will have someone they compare themselves to in the scene. Mm-hmm. Like, even on a management organization-wise... Like, I look at other people's work, and I compare my work, and I compare it to other people's. And I look at them, I'm like, you know, that was really good. I want to be able to, you know, not necessarily beat them, but, like, do something at that I level. I want to, <laughs> you know, I mean, you know, there, there are definitely some people. There are definitely some people out there. I'm like, just wait, just wait, you know? Uh, and, and But to me, that's, that's fun. You know, it's that rivalry. It's even if it's just internal, and no one else knows about it, really. But if you can just get that out of players and say, you know, do you not like this person on this team because of X, Y, and Z thing? You know, maybe you guys had a troubled past. Maybe you just don't even like the way they play. You think they're just a cheesy player. Uh Like, get that out. Let's see what happens. And, you know, FGC does an amazing job with building up these personalities that are larger than life. Especially when you look at events like CEO. They walk into a wrestling ring. It's this most over-the-top thing in the world, and it's so much fun. Mm-hmm. It sets the stage. It really kind yeah. of like sets. This is a battle, and because it's a one-on-one, exactly. you know, mm-hmm. fighting game, it, it is a battle. Yeah, and you have the top eight intros. These people, you know, will walk in. They'll have sometimes they'll have you know cosplay. They'll just do random things that they're known for, 
And sometimes they'll just walk in with a hype song and they just want to be like the villain almost uh-huh. because they know they're good. And so they like to play up the villain angle and there'll be a bunch of people that are cheering for the villain, but also a lot of people that want to root and see him lose. But either way, it's creating great entertainment. And without that type of story, you're just, you know, it just lowers the entertainment value, in my opinion. And it makes fans less engaged when they don't have something to follow. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, I definitely think that, you know, having a rooting interest and, Mm -hmm. you know, whether it's by player or by, I guess, these leagues are betting on geographic-based, you know, team, hometown pride, but it really kind of brings you a lot more into the game. Um, Yeah. So I know you mentioned, you know, that you were competing in Overwatch contenders. So tell us a little bit about that. Like, you know, what was it like working with, you know, Activision Blizzards on that kind of level? Um, you know, Activision Blizzard has been a very interesting... Overwatch has been very interesting the past few years, you know, especially with the Tier 2 community. And I think that a lot... You know, you go on Twitter and there's always a lot of backlash for Activision Blizzard. And I, I feel that some of it can be definitely justified. But I also feel that there's a lot of great people that work there, especially even on the contenders team that try really hard to make sure the organizations, the players, everyone's taken care of. And unfortunately, a lot of the backlash from other divisions of the company or people that are over them you know, it just, they start getting a bad reputation or a lot of misdirected, um, I guess, anger. Yeah, they're an easy target. Gets placed on them. Yeah, because they're the people that have to go and talk to the players. They're the ones that have to go talk to the teams. And they have to be the bearer of bad news. They have to be the messenger almost at points. And, you know, even when it goes to higher ups, uh, you know, there's there's good and bad decisions in every company. So... Working with Activision Blizzard has definitely been interesting. It's had its ups and downs. Um, I don't work with them very directly. You know, I work with some of the people that are on the esports side for Overwatch contenders. They have been great to deal with, uh, especially some of the new staff that has just been recently brought on within the past few months have been very responsive, extremely helpful, you know, checking in, constant daily updates. So I, I see like communication, which was something that a lot of people felt was lacking last year, in the past three months has drastically improved. And I'm, ex- I'm extremely excited to see what happens going forward. Um, now, the Overwatch Contenders format this season is, is definitely a little weird. Mm-hmm. Um, it's basically constant mini tournaments instead of one long league uh, split into two seasons. So I'm I'm really interested to see how this is going to play out. I don't know if this was the correct decision, um, but you know we'll see really really soon. I think it starts starts in about two weeks, two and a half weeks. Okay. So yeah, I mean I I think that you know I'm very familiar with the NBA 2K League and they've kind of taken a pretty similar approach with having you know in season tournaments as well as this kind of season long competition. Mm-hmm. And they've noticed that the the tournaments have a lot more engagement, a lot better influence, because mm-hmm. it's like there's going to be a winner. There's excitement, you know. It kind of has that March Madness effect. Yeah, I, I I can definitely see where it's good on the engagement side for the fans. The problem that I still think that you run into is in a scene like Overwatch contenders. 
there's a lot of full-time players and there's not the ecosystem to support that Mm -hmm. and what this tournament structure does is drive engagement yes but there's a lot of players that are definitely no longer secure with you know an x amount of money being paid to them because they made a league which if they're no longer secured getting prize winnings that makes it a lot harder to bring in all their organizations because they look at it as riskier you know it's okay so i might be in contenders one week and then the next you know two weeks later i'm in open so i just signed this roster to then go into open like there's no stability there for organizations or players Um, I do think this is good for competition because this will definitely make sure the best teams and the best players strive to constantly do better because they have to. And it's a, it's a tougher environment, but I also think it's, it's a scary, scary aspect to think about of just no stability for a lot of these players. Well, it's some survival of the fittest, you know, you gotta play harder and longer and strategize. Like I said, it definitely will drive, I think, better talent. And for the talent that just kind of coasts by, I, you know, they won't succeed here. They won't be able to just collect a paycheck. Which isn't the worst thing. No, it's definitely not. So it's a double-edged sword, you know? Mm-hmm. So definitely interested to see how this year goes. So that kind of leads us into another question. So mm-hmm. what are some typical issues that, you know, are encountered when you're operating a team? You know, we kind of <laughs> highlighted a bunch of them, but... Yeah. Um, wow. They, those. It's a list. Those. Those are. That's a list. That is a list. And, I mean, I guess you have some typical things. You know that happen. It's like you know. Okay. Maybe. You know. Maybe players aren't happy. There's in team fighting for a game. Maybe there's figuring out budgeting to pick up something, or you know, buy a player contract, or there's. You know, there's a bunch of things like that that are kind of just part of the operations. Mm-hmm. Nothing that's crazy, but anything that isn't just part of the normal operations of just being just being a company, really. Mm-hmm. And especially a company that engages on such a public level with a with a relatively young fan base. You know, esports has an extremely young fan base. And I'm not saying, you know, everyone's kids. I'm just saying it is not a younger. Yeah, exactly. And so you get to have a lot of interesting interactions and a lot of headaches just from being so public all of the time. And also, it's not just your brand that's public. You know, I constantly have to watch what I say. I constantly have to, you know, as anyone should. Yeah, I mean, but that's it's the nature of the biz. Exactly, exactly. It's just getting, you know, I'm definitely looking into even aspects to help that headache for uh, my players and even my content creators because a lot of these people are extremely talented, but they, you know, even if they're, you're not a celebrity level content creator or player, you still are very public. And so... You know, maybe you like a tweet that you really shouldn't have and someone sees that and you're like, you know, well, what's going on with this thing that happened a year ago? It's like, you know, how do you even handle that? Do you just spiral off? Do you just, you know, do you engage? Do you, what what is your basically media training for this? Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people would definitely benefit from that in this industry. 
So I think the media is a huge headache, but it's also one of my favorite parts because you get to constantly engage with an audience that you're constantly growing. So do you provide media training for your players or is it just, uh, we're definitely looking to, we're actually looking to actually start doing meetings and bringing people in. Mm -hmm. Um, I personally hope with it occasionally. I mean, it's not going to be, you know, my background is in marketing and PR, but I, I, you know, doing media training for people is not something I specialize in. So we're looking at several options to do either group classes, maybe one-on-ones with certain people, depending on the situation and what's needed. But I would like to get ahead of any potential issues and that could arise because you never know. Because when you pick a team up, you're picking up people that you think are good, that you've maybe only talked to a couple of times, and you're taking other people's words on what type of person they are, and you're bringing them into your brand. So if they do something, they have to, one, not probably do anything that causes an issue. Um, they have to two, be smart. Exactly. And if they do mess up, because everyone makes mistakes... Publicly. And it's not even just about apologizing to apologize. And that's that's something else I want to make sure that people understand as well. It's like, if you messed up, but you don't think you messed up, don't just, you know, make a fake apology because people can read that. People can understand when you just don't care and you just, you're saying sorry just to say sorry and just try to get it over with. And, you know, that comes with its own issue. It's like, well, then how does my staff, how do other people that are involved around the situation of this one person, how do they handle it in their everyday, you know, Twitter interactions on their live streams? You know, because that type of stuff can bleed over. And so I just think it's going to be extremely beneficial to have media training. I agree. I've definitely, you know, some of the articles I've written in some of the, other podcasts I've done, I've, you know, mentioned, you know, this is one of the benefits of, you know, an agent, an attorney, or any kind of talent mm-hmm. representative is being able to kind of sit some of these players down and kind of explain to them that, yeah, you're on behalf of an organization. You know, you may have a multi-millionaire or billionaire investor who, you know, has co-signed everything you said, who has these million, you know, multi-million dollar brands that are attached to it. And if you don't understand that how you say things especially Mm -hmm. publicly will have an impact and that people will take things the wrong way. You will put yourself in, you know, potentially career ending situations that you never should have been in. And yeah. And you can put other people in situations that are similar because of your actions. Yeah, exactly. Where it's just like, you know, we obviously we see what's going on with the Astros and, you know, you have, you know, widespread players and managers and everyone losing their job left and right. Mm -hmm. And And I'm sure there are people that are getting wrapped into that, that are probably just like, yo, I have no idea what's going on here. Like I'm actually, you know, because I'm sure not everyone is involved in every situation there. But even if you are the lowest person on the totem pole, your life is still affected by other people's decisions. Yeah, like I mean, even today at spring training, there were people heckling, you know, the Astros and stuff. Like, people just going to spring training, like, the first day. Like, it's going to be a fun road schedule for them this year. Yeah, it's going to be rough. 
and you know learning how to deal with that and handle that it's going to be extremely hard especially if you're just doing it by yourself yeah so i i definitely agree and i, I think that it should become you know pretty widespread practice to kind mm-hmm. of provide media training and through social media interactions and yeah. disclosures and really understanding what the effects you have on what you say. Mm-hmm. So. Especially with everything being public nowadays, it's even there, there's so many situations that you can even see outside of esports and, and definitely including esports of how many things get leaked because People will say something that they said with their friends six months ago or a year ago. Five even years ago. ago. Yeah, or even yesterday. And they thought it was like, oh, I just said that in my group of friends. It's like everything can, has the potential of being recorded, being copy and pasted, being screenshot. Like all of this stuff has the potential to be public. Like don't say, don't do, don't type anything that you would not be okay with being put on your facebook page with your family you know yeah like and just that's a don't. good guiding light and like i saw yesterday some like you know streamer girls talking about the pro players <laughs> that like follow her slide in the dms and then leave and it's like you gotta realize that if one of these girls or any of these people want to start putting you on blast especially yeah. if you send or say things that maybe are a little mm-hmm. inappropriate like your six-figure contract could just be over yeah you know like these contracts have clauses to you know, immediately terminate you for, you know, certain, you know, morals clauses, they're called. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if you're sending nude pics, especially if it's, you know, 16, 17 year old girls that maybe say they're 18 or 19 or 20 or whatever it is, like that's a game set match point kind of thing. It's, it's, it's risky. And, and it's unnecessary, you know, like mm -hmm. kind of, it's one of these things, mo money, mo problems, you know, as you go up the ladder and you have more to lose, you have more to lose. Yeah. And, and the safer that you need to be. So Awesome. So, you know, one other thing that I really kind of noticed mm-hmm. about Noble and, you know, we can kind of just touch upon is you guys have a dedicated streaming team. So kind of talk yeah. a little about that and, you know, the benefits you find from that. Yeah, no, the stream team and community are just huge, a huge backbone to Noble because they are the content that helps you know you can't constantly have pro players you know making content on the same schedule as a streamer or a youtuber does right Mm -hmm. because they have their practice schedules they have all this stuff and for an organization you need to be building personalities you need to be constantly driving engagement and metrics everywhere across the board and so the stream team developing talent there and helping pull from the community is beyond beneficial for the org and also helps you get into a lot of unique communities mm-hmm. that are like speedrunning. Very few organizations even touch speedrunning. You know, it's not even something that you would think like, oh, an esports org. I don't even know what it Pro. is. So, okay. Yeah, it's yeah, beating a game in the in the fastest time possible. Oh, right? okay. So it's like a yeah. kind of way to play a game. Okay. Yeah, it's like, okay, I'm going to beat... Like, I'm going to beat the oh, Mario basically. board, and, like, I've seen the yeah. few videos of beating, like, the whole game in, like, a minute. Yeah, yeah, and, like, blindfolded and things yeah. like that, right? Like, you don't really think of that as esports, but there's a huge dedicated uh, following and fan base for watching speedruns. Mm-hmm. And they're starting to get orgs that are, you know, getting involved in that community because 
no one's really tapped into it. And the metrics are high enough. Mm-hmm. And so it makes a lot of sense. And so there's a lot of things that come from picking up dedicated content creators that are kind of like that. Maybe it's not speedrunning. Maybe they play an MMO. Maybe they play a sports game. Maybe they do something like that. But it's getting involved in different communities that you wouldn't normally. And also getting involved in a personalities community. Because if you pick up the right content creators and the content creators are happy with the organization they join, their fans are going to know that. So the fans that they have will transfer slowly over to you. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. I mean, I definitely think that that's a you know very unique strategy and one that you know I believe most successful organizations have really adopted. It kind of gives you, mm-hmm. like you said, the balance and it gives you a constant presence where you can have all your sponsors you know, oh, yeah. featured. There, you'll always be having someone streaming with Elgato and whoever all your sponsors are. You know, you always mm-hmm. have people promoting whatever contest you're doing and really kind of just pushing out everything revolving you. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, you know, Jeremy, I, I really appreciate this. You definitely gave us some great insight. And, you know, I really like to end every interview with, you know, my three questions. So the first okay. one is, you know, what's your favorite game to watch? <clears throat> My favorite game to watch? Uh, favorite game to watch? Uh, definitely Counter-Strike. Okay. So what's your favorite game to play? Favorite game to play? Competitive or non-competitive? You can give me both, you know. Where... Okay. All right. My... Uh... Uh, my favorite competitive game to play at this point is probably going to be probably going to be Smash. Honestly, it's it's different than anything I normally played. You know, I competed in Call of Duty. I played a lot of Halo before that, and I put way too much time into ESCA for Counter Strike. <laughs> so you know, Smash is something that's completely different for me, and it's it's really hard for me to get good at. And so I really enjoy the struggle. And for non-competitive games, I could probably play Final Fantasy X for every day for the rest of my life. It's just my absolute favorite game of all time. Okay, well, I, I like that one. Um, so the final question is, so what's like your favorite video game character? You know, Mario, uh, Luigi, Pikachu, any of these? Uh, favorite video game character? Maybe your favorite Smash character? Um, that's actually a, that's a really hard one. Again, I'm trying to think what. A couple. Um, yeah. Uh, let's see. Favorite favorite game character. I hmm. You got the brain buster re- at the end, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. I I really love Aaron from Final Fantasy X. Like he's just he's just an amazing amazing awesome. character. Yeah, he's awesome. Like his. You know the sword, the outfit, the personality, the story. You wish you were the, just. I mean, if I <laughs> if I, you know, probably put on another, you know, fifty pounds of muscle, aged twenty years, and had no fear, then yeah, totally, I could totally pull it off. Yeah, definitely. Awesome. Well, great. You know, and again, I really appreciate you joining us. So you know, thanks to everybody again for tuning in. Make sure to follow me on Twitter, Justin J E S Q, and check Apple Podcasts for all our past podcasts.